I, you know, I, I like flying. Anybody like to fly? Anybody like to get in an airplane and go someplace? Dude, that is like one of the best things on the planet. I'm so glad God gave somebody an opportunity to give us technology to do stuff like that. I love that acceleration at takeoff, and you feel like you're sinking back into the, anybody ever been there, and you could just feel like, like you're, oh, it's awesome. When you, when you feel that rumble, and all of a sudden you're up, and it's just like, you know what I mean? It's that, 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 that awesome silence when the, when the thing comes off like that. And you're going up through there. I love the look of the landscape as you're looking out of the window and down on, on the earth and the, the rivers and the lakes and the trees and the mountains. And, ah, oh man, it's just, there's nothing. I love when it's, when, it's, when it's overcast and cloudy and you come up through the clouds and you get up over top of those and it's nothing but you and Jesus and the sunshine. You know what I mean? Oh, that's incredible. I love it at night when you're up there and it's just the moon and the star. Oh, my goodness. It's just, it's crazy. And I, it's like a, a crazy man because I spent like 52 hours in the span of 10 days in the air um, between me here in Africa. And uh, so uh, traveling and going back and forth. And uh, so I, I, I'm just really kind of fresh in my mind. But, you know, I noticed even on those, 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 those pristine, clear, wonderful days, you're flying and it looks like everything's great. And I love being there. But what I hate the most is when you're in the plane and you think everything's good and all of a sudden it starts going like this. And you hear the ding. The cabin, the captain has asked for everybody, please put on their, their, their safety belts. Please return to your seat. And you're like, oh, this could get serious. And you're up there when we, were, when we were flying from Columbus to D.C. to fly on to Europe, to, on to, to go on to Africa uh, this summer, uh, we're, we came down through a storm. And we're coming down, and I promise, we're coming through the clouds, and we're, we're descending, heading towards a runway. And all of a sudden, it starts going like this. Like that. And by the time we get, we're getting ready to land in Washington, D.C., and it feels like this plane is leaning like this. And I looked over at Brenda Ralston, and I went, what is going on? And we hit the ground with a thud, boom, I mean, like that. I mean, it come, I mean, it came down, it came down. And I've flown, I don't know how many times now, and Brent's, Brent's, he said, I thought we were going to land on the wing. And I said, I thought we were too. And, I mean, it was, the, it was the roughest landing I have ever, ever experienced ever in my life. Sometimes that's where our Christian life is. I mean, I love that acceleration of knowing God's taken me somewhere. I love it when things are not going quite right and I get above the clouds and I know it's just him and me. I love it when I, I'm going to love it one day when I will descend and arrive at the destination Jesus has always intended for me to get to. But you know what I know? I know in that journey of life, there are things that go on. That even when things look like they're going okay, that suddenly there's a rumble in the cabin. Even on the days when the sun is shining the brightest, there's sometimes turbulence takes place in the life, uh, in this journey of life that's inexplicable. Everything looks right, everything sounds right, but somehow everything's shaking everywhere. I know there are days too where, where, where the storm is brewing and we know it, and we're going to fly through it. And, and I hate the thought of that, that turbulent moment. You know, we've been talking out of a letter from Colossians that Paul writes to a to a congregation of believers in a little town called Colossae. It's really in the middle of no prayer. It's, it, it's insignificant, not unlike us. And over the last few weeks, I've encouraged you that, that, that God's heart towards you is this, that you would understand, have a knowledge of him, 
that he, that you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding so you can look at what's going on in the world, what's coming out of God's word, and be able to put things together to navigate through life. I, Paul's heart, God's heart towards us is that even in the midst of turmoil in Colossians 1, we would have this thing called endurance, that we will withstand the storm, withstand the journey, make it to the end regardless of what comes, but not just to get there, but in our getting there, we would operate in a thing called patience so that we can treat other people appropriately even when the heat is on us. He asked God to give us joy, which is not something that's based on, on circumstances. Joy is something that the Holy Spirit of God is the only thing that can give it to us. He's the only person that, 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 that imparts that into our lives. And he says something else, and that you would be full of thanksgiving, he says. Even in that difficulty. It's amazing to think that we can be that. We are called to be distinguishable from the rest of the planet. And we endure, we become distinguishable. When we walk in wisdom and understanding and have the knowledge of him, we become distinguishable. When we are patient, when everybody else is losing their mind and treating everybody else around them badly, we're distinguishable. When we operate in joy, we're distinguishable. When we have nothing but thanksgiving on our lips and in our heart, we become distinguishable. The question is, how, how do we achieve that? How? Let's look at Colossians 15, 1 15. Paul reminds him of who he's praying to and who they should be living for in this passage of Scripture. This chaos that our age is in, uh, we got to be reminded of who we serve. We got to be reminded of who we should be praying to and be reminded that. That one is holding everything together. Colossians 1.15. Let's, do me a favor. We don't do this very often. Some churches do this. Would you stand for me? Stand with me for a minute? Let's read the word of God together. I didn't do this first service. I just felt nudge of the Lord to do that. Because sometimes we do not give the word of God the honor that it is due. And we mamby-pamby it like it's a newspaper article or a magazine article or some fictional tale of some kind or something like that, and it just isn't. These things we're about to read are the very Word of God. And I know we got all kinds of translations. You can read with me if you want to. I'm going to be reading from, I think, the New Living Translation at this moment. And uh, or whatever, Just we'll just read. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as, listen to these words, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17 says, he existed before anything else. In the Psalms, there's a term they use. It says, Selah. And when God is, has, has said something 
or is about to say something, he says, just take a minute and breathe. Get ready to digest. And he holds all creation together. You may be seated. The question is how? The question is how? How how does he hold everything together? Well, the way he holds everything together is what Paul describes in the two verses prior to that statement. How does he hold everything together? He holds everything together because he is the visible image of the invisible God. The word here, it means to have a, be both a representation and a manifestation of something. A representative is somebody who has the words, the understanding of what something else wants or desires. Our representatives are supposed to go to our capitals, uh, whether they be state, local, whatever, commissioners, council people, all that stuff, and represent their constituency, speak for their constituency in those official proceedings. Jesus came to represent the will of the Father. He is the visible image of what God desires. But he's not just the visible image of what God desires. He is the manifestation of God. He is not merely speaking for God. He is what God looks like. So you can have a likeness. An image, there is likeness. But likeness doesn't necessarily involve image. How many of you guys have heard this statement? Image is everything. Remember that? That's a pretty prevalent statement in our, in our culture. Image can be false. It was just merely a likeness. But when it comes from the essence of something real, something original, it's, it's profound. Image, Im, Im, likeness does not always involve image. Image always supposes a prototype, which it's not merely resembles, but from which it is drawn the exact counterpart as the reflection of the sun and the water, the child, the living image of the parent. Jesus doesn't just speak for God. He is the essence of God. He holds everything together because that's who he is. He speaks and he manifests. He represents and he resembles. He, 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 he is that. Jesus, look at one of his disciples in John 14, a guy named Philip. He says, have you been with me all this time? And yet you still do not know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And there's an exclamation point at the end of that. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, he says? The words I speak, there's that representation. He just talked manifestation. I am, I am the Father, am one. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now he says, I'm also representative. I speak The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does this work through me. Just believe that I am am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. Jesus is, he's able to hold things together because he is the visible image of the invisible God. John 1, 16 One of my favorite pieces of scripture in all of it is John chapter 1. It's an, oh my goodness, it's an amazing piece of scripture. 
And in John 1, 16, uh, John writes here, from his abundance, talking about Christ, calls him the word in that particular piece of scripture, from his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. That's a reason for thanksgiving. That is a reason for joy. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, he is near to the Father's heart. And he, talking of Jesus, has revealed God to us. See, in all of that, there's reason for joy in that piece of Scripture. Because God merely gave a, a law to Moses, his words, his thoughts, his will. He, Moses was a representative of God. But Jesus was both a representative and a manifestation of God all at the same time. Jesus manifested the will of God as well as the character of God. And so he is the one we are to have living on the inside of us. We are to be a representation and a manifestation of this person called Christ. Just as Jesus was the representative, he spoke for God. We are to speak the words and the gospel of Christ unashamedly and uncompromisingly. But beyond that, we are not called just to merely speak. We are called to manifest the character of this one we serve. Jesus makes a statement. He says in one place, he says, I, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And it's good that he prefaces that because we know, physically speaking, his time on this earth was about 33 and a half years-ish. Very short period of time, considering all of history so far and all that's yet to unfold, very small. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 14, he looks at these disciples who would be the fathers of the church, who would begin this movement of, of, of taking this gospel clear around the world. He looks at them and he says these words, you are the light of the world. He says, people should see your life and give glory unto the Father which is in heaven. Why would he say that? Because he knew the light that he was which was supposed to shine through them, shine through us. In John 17, he says, I don't pray for these you've given me, the ones right direct me right now. He's talking about the disciples, the apostles. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me because of their words, which, are, which is us. We believe because we've been given this scripture handed down to us that Paul and, and Peter and John and all these men have written that, that we believe. Because, and so we are direct answer to that prayer Jesus prays in John 17. And so when he tells them to be the light of the world, he's praying for us to be the light of the world. When he's saying he wants them to be the light of the world, he's wanting us to be the light of the world. And manifest his presence, his character, but also be the representatives of his word and his will in the planet to bring the two together. If we're all messed up by how things are going, then we don't represent well and don't manifest well. If we can't walk in thanksgiving and joy, if we don't understand God's will and God's wisdom and God's purposes in the planet, then we get all messed up in the middle of difficult, turbulent times, and we cannot represent and we cannot manifest him. In John 1, 4, and 5, it says this, In him was life, notice this, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Is that good stuff? 
We, the, the, an image, you can have an image without a real prototype. I can paint a picture on a canvas and have no real sunlight there to represent that. I can, I can create a likeness of sunshine. But if I, if I want a real image of sunlight, I need sunlight. The real image, when I walk out to the beach and I see this, oh, it was amazing. When I see the sun going down over the Gulf of Mexico and I see the image of the, the rays coming off the Gulf and the reason is profound because the, the real thing is there and the reflection of it compounds what is going on. Oh, yeah, look at that. Patrick's got a picture right from where we were. Right there. I don't know if you can see that, but it's awesome. Woo. It, 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 like, it, 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 it exacerbates it when, it, when it when it has the real thing to pull from. You know what I mean? It, 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 it broadens. It's, re, it, it's amazing. And we are to be that. And that light, I love that piece of Scripture, the way it's written right there, because one place it says the darkness could, did not comprehend it, which makes it sound like, like the darkness didn't understand. That's a really bad translation. It says, it says the darkness could not overcome it. Today, where we live, what is going on right now, there may be great darkness, but the light of Christ shines, and the darkness cannot overcome that light. And that light is, keep clapping, that's okay, I'm going to keep talking. The light, the light shines in us and shines through us, or at least it ought to. But we have to represent and we have to manifest well for that to happen. Ephesians 5.8 says these words, You once were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only, only, only what is good and what is right and what is true. We should resemble Christ. You want to see what a resemblance looks like? There you go. That dude carries within me or within within him the very essence of who I am. Nobody mistakes him for somebody else's kid. Nobody mistakes him for being something other than what he is. He's so much like me, it's ridiculous. And I mean that sincerely. I never hardly met a person I didn't like. My wife thinks I'm too easy on going on people. But he's the same kid who's in, in, in the basket at Walmart walking around, and people are walking by. He's like, hi. Trying to get their attention. We have the same haircut now. We wear the same kind of glasses. I mean, if you would reverse me 37 years from, where, from, from now, I, you wouldn't be able to tell the two of us apart. But see, that's how it's supposed to be with us and the Lord Jesus. We are supposed to look so much like him that people cannot mistake us for something else. We are supposed to speak like he spoke. We are supposed to live like he lived. We're supposed to love like he loved. We're supposed to, to do what he did. And so there should be no confusion. We were once darkness, but now we're light. That light is the life, that, that life is the light of men, John says. And darkness cannot overcome it. If we are walking with Christ, it makes no difference how dark the days get, how difficult things go. The light still shines. 
I could read Isaiah 59 and feel like I'm reading the headlines of, of, of today's uh, culture and today's, today's setting in the world. I could look at it and go, wow, that sounds just like it. But I, when I get to Isaiah 60, verse 1, it says these words, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Gross darkness covers the people, but not so you. My glory rises upon you. That's how it's supposed to be. This time of prayer and fasting is, is, is for us to lock in to, to Jesus and seek him above all else because he is, I mean, I don't, dude, he's the answer. Whew. Oh, my goodness. And I, we need to reflect him, have his very image, his very likeness, his very thoughts, his very character, his exuding out of us at these moments right now. He is supreme. That's why he holds everything together. He is the visible image of the invisible God. That's how he holds things together. But he is supreme. Look at the, look at the next line. Look at, the, look at this. Verse 15b. He existed before anything else was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. He is supreme because he was there before. He was there before. Before what? Before everything. In the beginning was the Word. One translation says, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14 of John 1 reads like this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was there. In Revelation, Jesus looks at a guy named John. He says, write these words down. And the one thing he says, I am the Alpha. Which made to us means nothing. We don't know what Alpha means. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. When he says those words, he said, I'm at the beginning. I'm, I'm the start of all of it. Hebrews says this. He's the author of our faith. He started the whole thing. He was here before any of us got here. He'll be here after all of us are gone. He, will, he was here before any of the stuff we see existed, and he'll be here after it's all burned up and gone away. He is supreme because he is that. He is supreme because he, he, he's, he, he is not contingent upon the creation. The creation is contingent upon him. The word there translated in the Living Translation as he is supreme. In several other translations, it's the word firstborn, okay, which sounds like he might have been created. Now, there is uh, a particular theology uh, that's taking prominence uh, right now, uh, and their belief is that Jesus was created like everything else. But Paul doesn't say that. When he says firstborn, the word connotes two things. It, 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 it denotes these two things. He preceded everything. In Scripture, when it talks about firstborn, it talks about the one who, who was above the rest of all of it. 
The firstborn son always received preeminence in, in Hebrew culture. He received the blessing. He received the inheritance. He received the family trade and all of that stuff, whatever it was. It was passed into his hands. And so when it talks about Jesus, it's not about him being created like any of the rest of us. It's talking about him having that place that he, he, was, he preceded everything else. And it also connotes, denotes this idea that he is sovereign over all of it. He created everything, okay? John 1, 2, and 3. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. He created it. He is the creator. That should make us shudder. I have this thing called an iPad. I can create a document in here. I am the creator of whatever document goes on here. At any point in time of my choosing, I can press the delete button, and that thing ceases to exist. In Proverbs, it says this, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And some people would like to water that down like, well, we just merely have to be reverent and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Listen, when it says fear, that's what it means. Jesus created us. God created us. At any time of his choosing, he can press the delete button if he wants to. That should strike fear into our hearts. And that's where wisdom begins, according to the scripture. He is sovereign. That word sovereign is an adjective, and both an adjective and a noun. And sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power. The noun means to, have, to be the supreme ruler. In 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 8, 6, it says this, but we know there's one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him, and there is one Lord. Only one Lord, he says, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything, and through him we have been given life. Ephesians 1, 21 and 22. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader, and Paul just says just for good measure, or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. In the here and now, and in the great eternity, he rules and reigns. God put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit, look at these words, for the benefit of his church. And he's not talking about this building. The benefit of his church is you and me. He is high above everything. Why? Because it's good for us. He's got certain things to accomplish through his people. He has a mission to get done. And he is ruler over everything so that that can be accomplished. You, if you're a follower of Christ, this talks about you. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, it doesn't. I don't know how to make it more clear than that. The earth and the heavens, the things seen... The things unseen, he created all of them. He made all things that we can see and what we can't see. Bible Knowledge Commentary says, from whatever point affliction or opposition comes, he is more powerful. He made all of it. Now listen to this next line. And there is no competition. Well, I like that. The Buckeyes sometimes let me down. Yesterday, there should have been no competition. But with God, there is never any competition. He and Satan aren't duking it out for a battle of the ages that's in question. It'll go full 15 rounds, but there is no wondering about who's going to win. 
Are you hearing me? It is settled. In fact, the Bible says it is already finished. Huh? There's no competition. He is supreme, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says. Romans eleven thirty six. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Show that picture. Look at that. See, because we, we think that, 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 that somehow there's something going on that he's... The Bible says earth is under his jurisdiction. Heaven is under his jurisdiction. Things we can see are under his jurisdiction. And things we, can, we cannot see are under his jurisdiction. He holds all of it together. Even when the wheels seem like they're coming off, guess who's holding it all together? Huh? This is who we serve. I tell this to you because you need to know who you serve and whose you are. When you follow Christ, you are, you are not to succumb to everything else. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror. That there is nothing, not sword, not peril, not famine, not nakedness, nothing in all of this creation, and Paul uses that word in Romans 8, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Further down that verse, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah. And if that doesn't give you some solid footing to stand on, you are probably not his. And I can't make it any clearer than that. If you get your dictates from CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, and you're like, oh, my goodness, and the turbulence, and you're, I'm wondering where you're at right now. Your foundation is sure. Your hope is solid. It is settled forever. If you're anxious because, you know, your retirement's not what it ought to be, and blah, 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 and that this tax thing's about to come down, and we're going to all get taxed out the wazoo, and blah, 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 and all that, and you're just kind of weird now. Listen, your foundation is sure. He holds everything together. And I mean that sincerely. I don't have to mean it sincerely. He already said it. And the Bible says he is not a man, and that's good. Because the Bible says that he should lie. He's where our hope comes from. He is our strength. He is our hope. He is everything. He holds everything together. In Hebrews 1, you find these words long ago. God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken representation to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. Verse 3, manifestation. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Yes, Don, yes. You see, that's the really dividing line. If you've embraced the cleansing power of Christ, you are no longer of this world. You are no, over, no longer of the kingdom of darkness. You are of the kingdom of light. 
It changes, this salvation thing changes everything. For he has rescued, for Colossians 1.13, right before the words we read this morning as our text. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That is where the line is. Today, where you sit, if you've made a confession of faith in Christ, you are not of a kingdom that cannot that, that, that you are of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's that's good news. And today, if your kingdom is shaking, you've probably allowed your your stuff to be based on something that's not out of the words of Scripture. When all other ground is sinking sand, man. It's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. I can walk through life knowing he's with me and I am with him. I can walk through political turmoil and know he's right there. I I can walk through economic upheaval and know he's there. I can walk through racial discord and garbage and all that stuff and know that he's holding this whole thing together. He's got it, man. He's got the whole thing. And our citizenry is in a place called heaven. There, there's no shadow of turning. There, there's only light. If you're a leader, would you come join me up here? Any leaders from from this body of believers, just come join me. If you're a leader, an intercessor, a prayer warrior, come this way. I I want you guys to know something. Your foundation is sure because Christ is with you. And if your foundation is not secure, it's because Christ is not with you. He is for you, but maybe he's not with you. He wants you to come to the knowledge of the, of the truth. If you don't know Christ, that's numero uno, step number one. That's where, that's the dividing line that causes him to hold everything about your world together. But here's one thing I know. Some of you are here and, and, and do know Christ, yet it seems like it's shaking. And probably the reason it's shaking is because you've allowed other things to supersede your allegiance to him. Maybe it's your allegiance to something as good as your family. You spend more of your time, your affection, your energy trying to care for them than you even spend acknowledging him. Maybe it's because maybe you've given your your affections to your job or something. Maybe it's it is that retirement plan. Maybe it's you know, you found security and hope in in, in a stable political environment. Maybe I don't know. But if everything's moving here, there, and everywhere, it's because he doesn't have his rightful spot in your life. And the only way to get that settled is to come back to him. That's it. We sang this morning in first service. We never got to it second service. How great is our God? 
And right now, we're going to, I guess we're going to, can we sing that again? Are you ready for that? I want you to stand with me. And I, I want you to be able to be, the reason I have you stand is because I want you to move if you need to. Maybe you need to go bow at the altar. Maybe you come have Todd or William and Latanya or me pray with you. Maybe you don't know Christ yet, and you're like, dude, I want, my, I, don't, I want my life to be held together. Dude, I need Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. The forgiveness of our sins, the salvation he imparts is the step number one. We are all lost without him. We need him. We don't get to heaven without him. We don't. And I will keep preaching that until I'm blue in the face. I might end up in jail one day. I don't care. I just really don't because, I mean, it, we... He's the one hope. But we also, even though we've embraced that salvation, at times allow his supremacy not to rule our lives. And that's where we got to get things back on track. Are you with me? As we sing, if you need to find a place to make Jesus that, play, that, that spot in your life, you need to be introduced to him for the first time, you need to come back to him, or you need just to, 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 to embrace his, his supremacy in your life. Let's do that right now. Father, we bless you. We just turn our hearts towards you. Speak to us, God. Whatever things has received lordship over us that you never intended, God, let us come back to your place of rulership, your authority of being able to hold it all together. Amen. Let's sing.